Hey, everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, June 30th, 2013. Wow! So, Phyllis and Kyle go off on their trip to Chicago, business trip, and Phyllis is on a mission, okay? Whatever it takes, Phyllis has to make Kyle forget about summer. Whatever it takes. <laughs> I'm really surprised. I, I, I did. This is a twist that I did not see coming. Last week, you could tell that they were kind of laying the groundwork for this, but I, I was all, there was a part of me that just felt disbelief in the back of my head, but oh no, YNR is going here, <laughs> folks. This is actually happening. Phyllis is going to do anything she can to stop uh, Summer and Kyle from sleeping together, and she needs to divert their budding relationship. So she starts doing this series of crazy things. First, she's in Kyle's room with him, and Kyle runs out to the car to grab something, while Summer calls Kyle on his phone. Phyllis picks up Kyle's cell phone to talk to her daughter and says, Oh, sorry, Kyle's not available. He's in the shower. Giving the impression that something more is going on. And, like, there was an increasingly crazy number of things that Phyllis did. Like, later, <laughs> Phyllis, um, like, I guess, kind of, dialed Summer's phone and let Summer listen in accidentally uh, on a conversation that she and Kyle were having that was very suggestive. I, 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 I know what Phyllis is doing. I understand her thought process is, I'd rather have my daughter hate me than have her sleep with her brother. But at the same time, it is, it, it's such a radical move, almost unbelievable that Phyllis would go to this length. And that wasn't even the worst of it. Phyllis puts on this half-hearted seductress act with Kyle. And she's laying it on so thick, trying to get him to rejuvenate that crush that he had on her that she was well aware of uh, in order to get him to uh, refocus his romantic affections. So she's, everything she's saying is over the top sexual, telling Kyle that she got them an extra meeting with an executive just by using her womanly ways. She just explained to this executive about their products and how silky and creamy they are. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm watching these scenes with my hand up over my mouth. My mouth is wide open and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this is happening. And Kyle is just standing there derp faced like her. <laughs> it's almost like it's gone right over his head or he's just not, he didn't seem to really be catching on, but it's become a real Mrs. Robertson type situation here. You're trying to seduce me, Phyllis. <laughs> if, if Kyle would have been catching on, he just seems so dumb to me. But the next morning, Kyle, or I'm sorry, Phyllis comes to Kyle's hotel room and he's just gotten out of the shower. He's shirtless. He's trying to get ready for the next day of work. And Phyllis is looking at his shirtless body. I'm sure she's not genuinely interested. It's like she's having to force herself. And it's so obvious to the viewer that she's forcing herself into, you know, g g lavishing of attention on and, and uh, praise onto Kyle, trying to make him feel so good about himself, saying, oh, what a performance you, you had uh, the, the next, you know, at, at that focus group with all of those girls. Oh, you, I have never seen anyone work the ladies the way you have, Kyle. She even said, you're the best I've ever experienced. <laughs> He's such an idiot just standing there. It's crazy 
heavy handed. <laughs> She's laying on way so thick and he's not catching on and Phyllis is having to up the ante. She has to make it even more obvious as the time goes on. And there's this moment where Kyle is standing there, I think very perplexed and Phyllis just starts. Well, actually she, she got him drunk. She had poured a couple of bloody Marys. And so they're having vodka and he's loosening up and she's, I don't know if she was faking or if she was being genuine, but she's seemingly getting very drunk and she's trying to talk to him about summer and saying, you know, you guys really don't have a whole lot in common. She's a young girl chitty chatting with her friends and you're a totally different type of guy. How long are you going to be able to pretend that you have things in common when you really don't. And it sort of made Kyle think. He says, you know, well, I guess that's true, but I'm willing to see past that. I see who Summer is and I want to get to know her. He's trying to reassure her, trying to reassure Phyllis that he's not just going to use her daughter and throw her away. I think very oblivious to what's going on. So there's this moment where Phyllis gets up kind of close to Kyle, and she says, you know, you need to find an older woman to take your mind off of this young girl, my daughter. I think you need to go with someone older. Didn't you say before that you were into older women? And he's like, well, yeah, maybe, I don't know. And Phyllis says, well, um, what if there was an older woman who was available to you to help you stop thinking about Summer? And Kyle's just, mm, well, I can't really think of anyone. And Phyllis just looks at him and says, think harder. <laughs> I'm sure he was thinking harder at that point. <laughs> she's standing in front of him, wiggling her shoulder. You know, she's wearing that really sexy, uh, you know, spaghetti kind of strapped black dress, wiggling her shoulder in front of him like, mm -mm -mm. and he's just, I think, I can't even believe, I think he just wasn't expecting it. So he wasn't even in that realm. <laughs> at all. Poor kids just trying to focus on doing a good job. But after she said that, here's where it gets, I think, a little fuzzy. After she tells him, um, you know, think harder, you know, can it, is there any older women that could get your attention? There is a time gap. Like, all of a sudden, it's the next day in YNR world. And so, unless I missed something, and I don't think I did, I, it's like, there was a time gap and there's a little bit, I think, of space for us to uh, deliberate or speculate about what could have happened in that amount of time. Did she? Did, did, did Phyllis and Kyle sleep together? I, I don't think so. I really don't because it's the next day. Uh, Phyllis and Kyle are back in Genoa City. Phyllis is standing in Jack's living room. It's his birthday. Uh, he's very affectionate toward her, glad to see her back home. And there's this moment where they, you know, kind of go in for a hug, and you can sort of see Phyllis's face. And she seems like she might be feeling a little guilty, but she overhears that Kyle and Summer are going to get together, and she knows that she, at all costs, has to keep them apart. So she runs to the coffee house to where Summer and Kyle are meeting, and she butts up in their conversation. And just watch, you know, watching the scene, I'm thinking, I don't think that anything would have happened because Phyllis seemed like she was feeling guilty, but Kyle didn't. I didn't read anything on Kyle's face that made me think he's feeling guilty now because they should, they would both feel ashamed, surely. <laughs> they had slept uh, together. So I, I, I'm curious to know what you guys think about that, if you think anything happened in the time gap. But uh, so Kyle and Summer are, are sitting at the coffee house just talking. Kyle's kind of wanting to make it up to Summer when Phyllis uh, has to butt up in their conversation. She has to again, over-the-top, lavish attention on Kyle. She even scoots her chair over so that she's sitting as close to him as possible, and he's got his arm up over her chair. So it's creating this illusion that Phyllis and Kyle are very close, and Summer's just sitting there 
looking sick to her stomach, almost like she's turning green. She probably had a very long night wondering what could possibly be going on between her mother and her boyfriend. <laughs> I, can, I don't know who she would be mad at, honestly. But she, And now she's seeing how close they are. And Phyllis had to throw in talking about how great Kyle was with the women in the focus group. She's saying this in front of her daughter, trying to make Summer jealous, trying to make Summer feel insecure. And number one... Kyle's playing right along with it. It doesn't dawn on him what's going on here. And number two, I felt like it, the whole scene at the coffee house just felt cruel of Phyllis. Again, I I understand what she's doing in context of, in, in her head, I understand that she's thinking I would... I would rather anything happen. I don't care if my daughter hates me if it means that this relationship doesn't happen between them. So I understand where it's, you know, coming from in her head, but it just felt really, really cruel. This whole thing is so unexpected. I just really was, I'm shocked that this is where the storyline headed. Um... Phyllis successfully breaks up their little date, tells them that she it's Jack's birthday, <laughs> coincidentally, and she's going to need them to help her plan this party. So she sends Summer off as a decoy for Jack, says, hey, why don't you go and occupy Jack? Take him out to breakfast so that Kyle and I and the rest of the family can go back to the house and decorate it for him. And really, Phyllis is just trying to keep them apart. But it created kind of an interesting little moment between uh, Jack and Summer. She takes him out to breakfast. She's trying to distract him, but she's the one that's clearly distracted, checking her phone the whole time, um, trying to come up with conversation, asking, acting like she just wants Jack's advice about her modeling career, and Jack calls it out right away. He's not stupid. Come on. And he says, what is this really about? And it forces Summer to tell the truth. She can't lie. She says, oh, there's this party, and everybody's gonna be so mad at me, but there's a party and you can't know about it and it was a very cute moment I thought where Jack was like don't worry nobody's gonna be mad I'm gonna look surprised when it all happens and he was practicing his surprise faces and I just thought that was really cute just him being like (gasps) you know (laughs) it was just really kind of cute and it showed a little bit of a um just a a, a kinship a, a connection between Jack and what we know and assume is his daughter now um i i again continue to be shocked though by how far Phyllis is willing to take this she and Kyle are back at the house presumably alone and they are decorating <laughs> And Phyllis is up on a little step stool, I guess, putting up a big happy birthday banner. Kyle is behind her. And in the most obvious style it could be, and it it was comedy. It was like a sick, twisted, comedic moment. But Phyllis just kind of falls off of the step stool and into Kyle's arms. And there's a brief moment where they're just looking at each other. And the next thing you know... She's kissing him. And he's kissing back. It wasn't like, oh, what? No, he just went with the kiss, which again makes me think, is is it possible that they already slept together or not? I I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, if a girl kisses you, you just kiss back if you're Kyle. But the bad thing is they're kissing and Abby walks in the door and she sees the whole thing, which I kind of hate that because I I don't know. I I don't know. There is a I know it's not right, but there is a part of me that's like, well, this is this is an unexpected facet of the storyline. And so therefore it 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 makes me intrigued. You know, I like storylines that give me a reason to talk. I mean, happiness and everybody doing the right thing doesn't really give me a whole lot to talk about. So there is a part of me that's like, I kind of like this. I know I shouldn't, but I kind of do. Um, and I didn't really want Abby to see. I was almost, I'm almost hoping, you know, I wanted to see a little bit more of this awkwardness between uh, Phyllis and Kyle. But also because I don't want Abby to have any power. I just, I don't like this actress. It is not clicking with me. Uh, so I, I hate 
that she's probably going to be the one to drop the bomb on this because, I, I, I mean, it's going to, to blow up. I mean, if Abby knows, she's not going to be able to keep her mouth shut about anything. So I don't know who she's going to go to to tell this secret. Probably Jack. Uh, and actually, I got a, a, so many wonderful voicemails this week. Really good voicemail from a YNR chat viewer. Connor. Love you, Connor. I love your whole vibe. Um, he made a really good point about Jack finding out about this mess. Some are finding out about this mess. The whole thing blowing up in Phyllis's face and actually probably being what's going to push Phyllis off of the canvas and out of YNR forever. I mean, because everybody's going to be upset with her. I wonder if what Phyllis is doing is going to somehow overshadow Nick's lie. I mean, Summer's going to be mad at absolutely everybody. She's going to be mad at Kyle. She's going to be mad at her mother. She's going to be mad at her father. Um, I, I don't know if, you know, Jack's going to end up looking good in, in all of this. He might be the only one, and that's going to kind of uh, forge the relationship between Summer and her, and her father. Although, I have to say, uh, another really good voicemail, Anna called in and said, you know, I don't think, Either Nick or Jack is Summer's father. Is it possible that there's some kind of third party? Which is absolutely a, a totally possible scenario in which I almost love that idea even more because it means all of this trouble that Phyllis has gone to would have been for nothing. Avery and Nick's relationship is doomed, doomed, doomed. Avery pieces together this week that whatever it is that's bothering Nick so much that's eating away at his soul is having to do with Summer. Because Nick takes a phone call from Phyllis while she's at the hotel with Kyle, basically updating him, telling him that everything's kind of going as planned. And Avery realizes, you know, he left the room when he was talking to Phyllis. Why else would he do that if it, if it weren't about Summer? So she really implores him to tell her the truth. Whatever it is that you have to tell me, I can handle it. I, I want you to trust me. To tell the, you know, for you to tell me the truth. Um, trust me enough to tell me the truth because I've told you all of my secrets. And I don't, I don't blame her. I think on, on one level, I sort of understand Nick's perspective. I think, I think uh, Avery was being a little impatient. I think Nick was very impatient with all of the secrets that she was keeping from him, up to and including the fact that she had a baby with Dylan and didn't even tell him about until a couple of weeks ago. But at the same time, I, I would want to know, too, if I were her. I mean, Nick is like, I, I can't tell you, but I promise I will tell you before the wedding because it might affect whether or not you want to marry me. I, I mean, that's a, a, a freaking bomb to drop on somebody. She says, I, you know, I can't. I need you to tell me now. I can't move forward at all. I am stuck in the spot that I'm in right now until you tell me what the secret is. And it's. It's, he says that he can't tell her, but it's totally unfair of him to, to ask her to just wait. It's like saying, uh, I have a big secret, and it may make you not want me anymore, but I can't tell you what it is. Would you stand for that, really? I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, there's no way. Um, <laughs> Nick is coming off really, really bad in all of this. Um... I don't know, I think a lot of people's opinions are going to be affected um, when all of this shakes out. The Lionel's going to have to do some damage control to get Nick's character back on the fans' good sides because he just looks like a real jerk right now. And meanwhile, he's the one who decided he can't tell Summer the truth, that uh, she's not mature enough to handle the truth. So uh, he's uh, having a change of heart on that note. He decides that he needs to call Phyllis and he leaves her a voicemail and he tells her, you know, we, we can't do that. I have to tell the truth. We're, we're going all about this all of the wrong way. We need to tell Summer what's going on and Jack. Uh, hey, Nick, buddy, maybe you could have come to that conclusion yesterday? Like, as in before Phyllis had to make a move on Jack's son to cover up your lie? Ugh, Adam 
slept with this lawyer girl, this new girl on the scene. Does anyone even know her name? I don't even know her name. I'm not sure if it's that I haven't been paying attention or if they've just not said it, but I don't know who she is. <laughs> and I had a really hard time watching that scene. They're down in the athletic club just having breakfast, and then Adam suggests going upstairs to get a room, and next thing you know, we're in a hotel room, and she's just unbuttoning his vest. <laughs> and he's, I don't know, I don't even want to think about it. It, just, it wasn't good. I think just because I... I've, I have very specific feelings about Adam. Like, Adam has been my main man for so long, and then I've been mad at him lately, and then I don't want to see him having sex with random women. And so it was hard to watch. And after they had sex, they're lying there talking to each other, and the girl just is going on a little bit too much about Victor. Just, I mean, yeah, great pillow talk. Why don't you talk about a guy's father? Who wants to think about their father when they're laying there post-coitus? It's just really bad idea. And I think that is what made Adam suspicious of her. She seemed a little too interested in his relationship with uh, with Victor. And he, he, she even said something like, oh, well, um... Uh, maybe someday you'll have Victor working for you. And it just it just tipped Adam off enough to where he got up, goes to have a shower, and all of a sudden the girl makes a dash for her phone and she calls Victor and tells him that she's got, you know, she's got, hasn't gotten any information yet, but she's gonna get information. And it's just, I, I mean, I, I, on one level, I, I'm, I'm like glad there was a twist because just having this, another doughy-eyed girl on the show was enough to make me lose my lunch. But, I mean, the fact that she hops on the phone um, with Victor and Adam overhears the whole thing at least puts a little bit of a twist on the, uh, you know, a relationship that I wasn't excited about happening. Um, she, she She's not that sneaky. The, whole, the thing that just is glaring to me is that the girl really didn't need to make that phone call. You couldn't have waited to make that phone call? <laughs> it was completely ridiculous. And not only did she make the phone call that Adam is overhearing, but she says, uh, Mr. Newman? <laughs> she, like, calls him. He picks up, uh, Mr. Newman? I, why would you even say who you were talking to? Like, you might as well have just said the whole plan. Like, um, yeah, Mr. Newman? It's me, the girl that you hired to seduce your son, Adam, into getting information about his plans for Newman Enterprises. Um, yeah, I don't have any information to report to you right now, but I just wanted to make this risky and unnecessary phone call just to give you an update. Before Adam had slept with what's-her-name, <laughs> he had just recently found out that Chelsea and Dylan are getting married, and Adam made a half-hearted attempt to pretend that he was happy for Chelsea, but he's not. He's still clinging to a shred of hope that maybe they'll get back together. And he's just, I, you could tell, his whole persona right now is basically he's mad that she's moving on because he can't seem to move on. He's stuck in this space, and it's like nothing has ever happened before Chelsea, and nothing will ever happen again after Chelsea. He just can't see out of the place that he's in. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> Dylan is trying really hard. He's just trying so darn hard. And it, am I the only one that just wishes that Anita would blow this whole thing out of the water? Ch Anita is circling, and she wants the truth out there. And she's telling Chelsea that it's not a good idea to get involved with Dylan. And, and Anita's main motive seems to be that she wants her daughter to marry money. And, uh, and th there's just no secret about it. She's made no secret about it. And Dylan catches wind of this. And of course, it's, it's it's all Chelsea trying to cover up what the the real truth is. I mean, Anita knows that the baby's Adams. It's it, I mean, yes, money would be a convenient excuse, but Chelsea's also telling a, a, a ridiculous lie for a ridiculous reason, and she has to make it seem to Dylan like the only reason Anita doesn't want them together is because he doesn't have any money. So Dylan decides to 
put all the cards on the table and he is very frank with Anita and he really was, I mean, quite convincing, I guess, uh, if it was me. He was saying, you know, money isn't everything and I want you to know that I love Chelsea. I love who she is and I can give her security, you know, and it's 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 about emotional security as well. I, mean, I can't imagine being married, being around Dylan. It would be too much for me. I, I, he's too much. <laughs> It's it's overly productive. He would be he would be smothering. I don't think I could breathe in a relationship with Dylan. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Chelsea seems to be completely enthralled by it. Um, completely intrigued by the fact that he's willing to be with her, even though she knows inside that she's wrong. That she's doing something really, really wrong. And in in bed the next day. Um, Chelsea and Dylan are lying there and being all smoochy smoochels and Dylan is saying, you know, I can't give you all of these things that Adam could give you. I live a very simple life and I like it that way. There's not going to be any of these grand lake houses or, you know, I can't give you lavish gifts or any of this. And it sort of dawned on me that Chelsea and Dylan don't really know anything about each other at all like it it seems like the whole relationship has obviously been based on the fact that she's having a child I asked the question last week do you think that Dylan would be in love with her if she wasn't pregnant and the answer is no absolutely not this whole relationship has been fueled by the pregnancy but also I I don't feel like Weiner has done I feel like Weiner wants me to want this couple but I don't feel like they've done any scenes at all where they're just getting to know each other. I don't know. Dylan has barely opened up about his past when he was in the service. Chelsea's barely opened up about her past anything prior to Adam. So it's like Dylan and Chelsea are falling in love for love's sake, and there's just absolutely no substance to it. Their entire relationship is based on a baby, which is a total lie. So now he has asked her to move in with him. Well, duh. Last week he proposed to her. I would assume that that uh, that that she would move in with him. I mean that only makes sense. And Chelsea's packing up her things and in her hotel room, and she comes across the baby blanket that Adam had given to her. Um, it was a gift to their unborn child. And when Adam found out that she was pregnant again, uh, but was still suspicious about, you know, that it could have been his, he gave her this baby blanket. It was something that I think he picked up in Kansas or was one that he had when he was a child. And Chelsea opens up the blanket and she's kind of holding it. And there was a note with it. Adam talking about his child. It was basically a note to his child. I don't see how anyone could not want to strangle Chelsea in that moment for keeping Adam away from his child. All Adam wants at the end of the day is love and a family. It's the one thing that he really hasn't ever had. And she's keeping him from the one thing that could improve his life. He needs to, Adam needs to stop dealing with all of this Newman Enterprises crap. Um, Like, a child, I think, would change his life. I just don't want the child to be with Chelsea. Um, I think that Chelsea obviously still wants Adam, or she wouldn't have kept the blanket. But I don't see how she could love Adam and do this to him. And I got, again, another really awesome voicemail from a YNR chat viewer, Patricia, by the way, laughed my butt off. When I, when I listened to the voicemail, but she made a really a good point that, like, really, when you break it all down, what did Adam do to Chelsea that was so bad? I think the Sharon stuff, yeah, that would tick me off as a wife. But, um, you know, on the other hand, what, he wanted to have his job? He wanted to, you know, she knew who he was. She knew he was an, a Newman. And Nikki had warned her, like, this is the life you're getting into. They're too, they're very alike. And she still went ahead with the whole relationship and then acted like Adam did her wrong. And I don't feel like Adam did something so wrong to where Chelsea would feel that she couldn't tell him that he has a child to, to, to warrant this reaction. And, you know, Patricia kind of went on to list all of the things that, that Adam has done for Chelsea. He saved her life. He saved Johnny's life. He helped her get her GED. He always encouraged her to have a career. And that's very, very true. Patricia, you rock my world about the, the whole voice message was just awesome. Just talking about 
Chelsea and Sharon and Adam and, and she, you know, Patricia even said, like, I don't think that either Chelsea or Sharon deserve Adam. Now, I don't, I think Adam is no saint. You know, I love my Adam and I have in the past, but I'm mad at him right now. And I, I don't know if deserve is the right word, but it does seem like neither Chelsea or Sharon are right for him at all. I think, um, I think absolutely Adam should get this baby and raise it on its own. Why does he even need <laughs> Chelsea for that? I just, ugh, I'm so over the Chelsea and Dylan thing. I don't want Chelsea and Adam to end up together. I don't want them to have this happily ever after moment. I, I, I hope that Anita blows the whole thing wide open. I want Adam to find out that he has a child, but I don't want Chelsea to be in the picture. I just, I have a feeling that at the end of the day, it's all going to be washed away for Chelsea. It's, I, I want her to, to, I want to feel that she's going to get punished. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just so awful. I feel like Weiner is putting so much pressure on this Dylan and Chelsea relationship. It's, it's over the top, sticky, icky, and it's not redeeming Chelsea for me. And it's not making me like Dylan anymore. So I, I don't know. It's just, it's not working on many levels, but Whatever. Um, we're supposed to see Dylan as the best guy in the world, but he's really just looking foolish. He can't figure out that Chelsea's further along than she is. <sighs> Maybe this guy Stitch is going to help. There's a new army buddy that's come into the mix. His name is Stitch. Guy is hot. Hate the name. Why do soap operas have to name guys these weird names like Thorn and Ridge from Bold and the Beautiful or just the the prime examples in my head like thorn really <laughs> it doesn't need to be a greek god he just needs to be a, a character for crying out loud so stitch is in town very very sexy looking uh he and dylan had a brief encounter seems like stitch has a son um, and I don't know if maybe he's going to be the one to get Dylan thinking in the right direction. Like, hmm, maybe he'll put the pieces together. Like, hmm, you guys slept together when and you're how far along? Dur, 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 dur. I don't know. I don't know what role Stitch is going to play. But I do predict that Stitch is being brought on as a match for Sharon. Avery very politely tells Sharon to back off her man this week. <laughs> I mean, Sharon took it pretty well. She basically tells Avery that she needs to get used to sharing Nick. And it's kind of true. Nick has two other wives, children with both of the wives. Well, kind of. <laughs> but Avery is lined up to be his third wife. I mean, being a third wife... That can't be a real good feeling. I mean, you, it kind of looks like Nick can't commit. <laughs> um, Sharon, I, you know, Sharon runs into Adam at the coffee house this week, and he insists on getting up in her life. Same thing he did to Chelsea. He gets up in Sharon's life, and kind of he over he sees her. Uh, taking a business card from a another guy, another suitor, like somebody she's presumably sleeping around with, which I hate. Um, but I just at the same time feel like, Adam, if you're done with Sharon, then be done with Sharon. Like, don't throw her a bone of affection. Don't act like you care. She doesn't need your advice. If you're done, be done. I don't want Sharon sleeping around. But I also don't think it's any of Adam's business. Uh, and I, I didn't like the way he talked to her either. Frankly, I don't like the way Adam has treated Sharon, and I don't think that Sharon did anything to him to really particularly deserve it. I think, you know, Sharon, for crying out loud, Nick cheated on Sharon, Sharon cheated on Nick, but Nick never belittled Sharon. Nick never treated Sharon like she was a whore, and I feel like that's what Adam has done. I feel like Yes, they had agreed just to have a sexual relationship. There was going to be nothing more to it. But there was this element of Adam toying with her mind a little bit. You know, I, I just, it was, I don't know. I, I don't, I didn't appreciate what Adam did to her. And that's just what he's done to her lately. I mean, for crying out loud, let's not forget the list of things that Adam has done to her. Um, I think it was Gary that called in and left me a voice message and reminded me of, um, 
you know, Adam letting Sharon sit in jail for all that time for Skye's murder, for the murder of his girlfriend when he knows she didn't do it. And 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 that jail wedding where he came in and made it seem like he was going to marry her and then pulled the cord at the last minute and was like, no, I'm not going to marry you. So Adam does have this way of twisting things and he's a he's a manipulator you know he and I think that's what he did to Sharon and, and Sharon is in kind of a, a a fragile place I know that people don't like Sharon I realize Sharon is a very um she's a she's a, a she's a character that people either seem to love or hate but I have sympathy for Sharon I don't like that she's sleeping around, but she's always slept around if we, you know, know it. People always comment, you know, Sharon is a hoe. She is. She has slept around a lot. She was cheating. She cheated on Nick since the early days of her being on the show. I would love to know the number of men that Sharon has slept with because it's a lot. (laughs) But at the same time, so has everyone. Phyllis has done way worse things than Sharon has. I think there's quite a few characters on the show that have done things that are way worse. But, you know, Sharon's, I think, been in the forefront and it's, She's taken a lot of heat for it. There was a scene this week of Sharon going to Cassie's grave. Oh, boy, are they playing this up. Oh, Cassie is coming back, you guys. They are really, really driving the Cassie point home. Um, But it was implied that Sharon goes there once a week to talk to Cassie. And she had an an internal, or actually just a dialogue, an outlog dialogue with Cassie. Um, And she said some things that I thought kind of were enlightening. I mean, she said, I feel like after you died, I just started walking and wandering, and now I'm just so far away from home. And that does kind of feel like how the character has progressed. It was like after the daughter died, Nick totally abandoned her, and she just has kind of been like, huh, what, what, shiny thing? You know, just like going from thing to thing. And she hasn't had a whole lot of direction. Um... But I think YNR has done a fairly decent job of building her back up since the craziness that went on with Newman Enterprises and her trying to take over. That's why I hate seeing her sleep around. It's just not helping things <laughs> at all. It just it makes her look like such a slut. Uh, and she's, you know, reflecting out loud on her relationship with Adam. Um, and she actually said, I, I don't know how to take this because it felt like, the bad Adam, when Adam was bad, he was in love with me. And now that he's reformed, he doesn't want to have anything to do with me. How How is that even possible? And um, she took it very personally and said, you know, I, I, I feel like Adam never really, Adam never really loved me. And that, again, here again, this is... I think YNR wiping things away just for the convenience of the current storyline. Like I feel like there are several times where I'm watching the show and I'm thinking for crying out loud, like have these writers watched the show? Are they aware of the history? <laughs> like, cause it's one thing to, to, to know the show, but it's another thing to have kind of experienced the show over the, the um, years. I mean, I'm sorry, but Sharon and Adam weren't in love. I, I felt like it was a pretty strong freaking pull there. I mean, Sharon even said, I, I really, when I think back on it, I've really only been loved by one person. And she's talking about Nick. Now, I'm, I'm not opposed to Sharon and Nick getting back together. I've, I'm totally fine with it. But let's not act like Adam and Sharon weren't in love. Let's not just, like, disrespect the fans by just pretending that never happened. That's all I ask. You know, just at least acknowledge it. Just don't act. I don't know. It b- bothers me. Clearly, YNR is pushing Nick and Sharon back together, and that's fine. <laughs> but Sharon is um, looking for something, and she thinks Nick is going to be her savior, which uh, which was the problem with their relationship in the first place. Nick was always her savior. I mean, we worked so hard to get her out of a relationship where she was very passive, and now we're kind of heading back toward it. I mean. Nick and Sharon are different people, so, I mean, I don't know if that's going to affect things, but there's this moment where Sharon goes over to Nick's house, and she has faith in her arms, and Sharon looks in through the window at Avery and Nick embracing, I think, I think, Um, but there's just this moment where they see Nick and Avery having a moment, and Faith just looks up at Sharon and says, I still love you, Mommy. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was cheesy. It was a little cheesy, but... I mean, Faith is obviously trying to get her parents back together, and she doesn't like Avery, and I think it's going to become increasingly obvious to Avery that she's the third wheel. She's the she's doesn't really belong in this relationship with Nick. I think um, that that when the whole paternity thing blows up, Avery's going to leave him, and Sharon's going to be there to pick up the pieces, and I think. I think it doesn't mean that Avery doesn't love Nick. I think that maybe she's going to love him enough to let him go. Catching up with the Baldwins this week, um, as their scenes open up, Fen is in his bedroom listening to loud music. It's all there. And Lauren's out in the living room, like practically in earplugs. Just She's got this rebel teenage son. He's such a rebel, but he still lives at home <laughs> in the comfort of their condo. <laughs> But Michael comes home and the music is so loud and he's like, what's up? And Lauren says, Finn's still mad at me. He's punishing me. But at least it's better than it was a couple weeks ago. Um, or she said something like a couple weeks ago, he couldn't stand to be in a room with me. And I took that as that a couple of weeks have gone by on that storyline. Like, did you guys get that? I don't know why, but that just struck me. Again, it felt like a time gap. Like, okay, well, now some time has gone by. And Fen comes out of his room and he's all, you don't understand me, Mom and Dad. And Not everything's about you, Mom. And <laughs> then he leaves. He's obviously a very cranky teen. And um, Michael and Lauren, I think, don't know what to do. I think they don't know how to connect with him. They need to send him to counseling or something, but they're having a hard enough time dealing with their own marriage, and they're in counseling, trying to understand how to relate again to one another. And it was kind of cute this week. Um, apparently, the therapist had suggested that Michael and Lauren try to pick one of their favorite memories and recreate it, like recreate a time when they were happy together. And it was their first date. And they just had some Chinese food, and Michael ordered food, even though he didn't, you know, food for Lauren, even though he didn't like it. And they talked about the movie that they saw on their first date, and it happened to be a storyline where the man fell in love with the woman, even though she was married. And there, it creates this awkward moment between them. It's like, they can have fun and be laughing and eating Chinese food and watching a movie, and then all of a sudden it comes up, something that reminds them of the affair, and they just can't seem to get away from it. And YNR, they've been doing this quite a lot with the uh, Baldwin crew. They do this thing. It drives me nuts, and I should have mentioned it like two times ago. But, okay, do you notice, like, Michael and Lauren are sitting on the couch, and they're all sad, and the camera pans away from them, and it's just, like, they've been doing it a lot lately, and it's clearly kind of to show the isolation of the character, um, or characters. And it just, it's it's a technique that I appreciate, but they're doing it way too much. Every scene where Michael and Lauren, Michael and or Lauren are sad, doesn't have to pan out to give us a sense of their isolation. <laughs> I get it, okay? Enough with the tricks. Um, so Michael and Lauren um, are trying to, you know, get back on track. They decide to um, watch a, a different movie, a funny movie that maybe is a little more neutral. So they're sitting on the couch watching Austin Powers, and it was kind of cute, them laughing together and just trying to reconnect. Like, okay, we hit a stumbling block, but let's keep going past it. Let's not stop. And meanwhile, Fen goes out and confronts Carmine. Apparently, Carmine has been sending Fen a lot of texts, like, I want to talk to you, I want to explain. Carmine doesn't want to lose his only in to the family. Fen is the only in he still has to Lauren's world. And so Carmine's texting Fen, and Fen finally comes up and he says, stop texting me, I don't want to talk to you, I don't want your explanation. But Carmine goes on to try to say why the affair happened. Um, and it just basically, all in all, I, I can't even listen to what Carmine's saying. The basic gist of what Carmine said was just trying to make Michael look bad. Like, I don't know how you could forgive your father. How could you even forgive your father for this? Trying to spin it to, to make Fen uh, more confused, and it's, it's working, okay? Uh, Carmine is 
not only has he screwed with Michael and Lauren's marriage, but I think he's made Fen more confused than he would have. You know, just having the affair with Lauren... It would have been one thing, but no, Carmine has to dig into the kid, too. A kid that's already troubled, he has to spin him around and, and, and plant things in his head. And, 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 I mean, it was Carmine that forced Fenn into trying to go with Summer and forcing himself onto Summer. And if it weren't for Carmine, Fenn probably wouldn't have kissed Summer at that prom party, wouldn't have been videotaped, wouldn't have been bullied. Fenn's really going down through the ringer, and now he's buying drugs. There was just a brief scene of uh, Fen meeting some other kid at the coffee house, handing him money. Kid hands him something. Fen open up, opens up his hand, and there's a package of pills in there. And I just... Okay, so Fen's doing drugs now? I mean, it felt... That just feels kind of abrupt. Like, how did, how did we get here already? Fen, a couple weeks ago, was <clears throat> at that party with Raven, with the girl. And at the party, she was like, you want some alcohol? You want some weed? And now suddenly, we're at pills? Like, alcohol and weed are different? Like, now we're at pills? I guess maybe that's just what kids have to face today. Pills are much more readily available, I guess, than when I was a kid. But, I mean... I just, I, I I didn't realize that we were at pills already, and I, I don't know, what, what, what kind of pills are we talking here? Just when Victoria starts to believe Billy that he's not having an affair with Chloe, Kevin has now latched onto this, and Kevin believes that Chloe and Billy are having an affair, and I, I feel like it's pushing... Chloe and Billy together. Both of their marriages are breaking up at the same time, and they share a child together, and they're coming together to talk about how their spouses had this wrong idea about them, and it seems so far-fetched, like, what? They think we're having an affair? But it's becoming clear that that's kind of where the writers are taking it. Like, it seems like the writers are trying to reunite Billy and Chloe. I, I, I which I feel shocked about. I didn't see that coming. I don't know why they won't just put her with Alex. <laughs> I I mean, Billy's no better than Kevin. Why would you go from Kevin to Billy? It's just you're asking for trouble. G Billy's a gambling addict. Would you? I mean, I don't know. I just don't know. But then again, uh, I, I just keep thinking back to that scene between Lauren and Chloe last week where Chloe found out that Lauren was cheating with Carmine. And Lauren kind of mentioned Chloe's bad girl past and what she had done to Billy and to Kane. And then YNR is like, splicing the scenes together of uh, Victoria breaking up with Billy and Kevin and Ke Kevin and Chloe breaking up and it's just obvious I guess I mean I don't know I have not seen a whole lot of Billy and Chloe together to make me want them I mean it's they were never really together I, it, it was always kind of a forced situation she got pregnant and then I think he married her because she was pregnant so I, I don't I don't feel like I know them together well enough to want them I don't know. Well, let's talk, we'll talk about Billy and Victoria in a second, but let's just focus on Kevin and Chloe right here real quick, because as Kevin and Chloe are breaking up, they're trying to have a discussion about where things went wrong in the relationship, and what really stuck out to me was Kevin said something to Chloe about how he felt that the relationship was a bait-and-switch situation. Like, Chloe was a bad girl when they met, and then she decided to be all good, and so then all of a sudden he didn't fit into her life. But I feel like Wyatt trying to make us remember that Chloe was this bad, bad girl, but she really wasn't. And again, Wyatt Okay, Chloe was a bad girl when she first came onto the show. There was a long period where she was not bad. And then recently when the Chelsea thing started happening and then the the stealing thing started happening, she got bad again. But there was a long stretch of time, specifically when she and Kevin got together, when Ke Chloe wasn't a bad girl. Chloe was Molly Ringwald. Chloe was the fashionista. She was falling for Ducky. So let's not just, I, I can't pretend like that never happened. Bait and switch? No. That's not a, how it happened at all. I mean, YNR, if you want to break up Chloe and Kevin, I'm all for it. But let's try to be consistent here, shall we? I think the real problem in Kevin and Chloe's relationship is that Chloe smothered him. Kevin was always, like, well, not even. Both Kevin and Chloe were in their good phase when they got together. Bait and switch is not even a valid argument at all. If you can see it, let me know because I don't see it at all. Kevin was bad, then good when he met Chloe, and then got bad again. So... 
I just feel like it was like Chloe that made Kevin better. I think Kevin was in a bad phase, you know, and then he met Chloe and start started sort of getting better, 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 and then Chloe just turned him into somebody totally different. Like, Kevin was a hacker, and he was sort of edgy, and then they got together, and all of a sudden he was way more metro, and I think that's what the problem in the relationship was. But don't you guys remember how when Kevin and Chloe got together, Kevin was supposed to be the good guy. He was supposed to be not like the other guys that Chloe had dated, not like Chance, not like Billy. She'd been screwed over so many times, uh, not like Ronan, I think it was. Yeah, Ronan. And, and, and then Kevin came along, and Kevin was so sweet with Delia. Remember when Kevin was like this, the, just the hero to her and Delia? And now it's just, he he's just doing bad things for bad sake, and it's come out of nowhere. It's only been within the last couple of months. And this week, the Detective Chavez sets up a trap for Kevin. He comes out into the detective. He's, he's at the police station. They're both at the police station. And Chavez comes out and mentions, just have his dimension, that there's a coin worth $200,000 in the evidence room. And he tosses down the keys into an open drawer and walks away. <laughs> and at first it kind of seems like Kevin wasn't listening, not really paying attention. But then Kevin goes off, breaks up with Chloe, comes back, grabs the keys, and he basically takes the bait. It was all a complete setup, and Kevin's, he, we haven't seen him go in and take the coin yet. I, I can only assume that he's got to have a change of heart, because otherwise, I don't know who's going to bail him out this time. Well, Victoria finally believes Billy that he is gambling, not cheating on her, and it's starting to sink in, but... The gambling is almost worse than the cheating. I, I, I think the cheating is bad, but the gambling puts her life in danger, puts her child's life in danger. That if, if Billy was just going out and getting kicks, that would be one thing. But his gambling problem, the people he was running with, the circles he was running in, caused Victoria to get kidnapped and to think she was never going to see her child again. And and I mean, that's just horrible. It, it, it is. And I, I, I guess I didn't even think about how bad it was until she, Victoria started mentioning it. And she kicked him out. She says, I, I can't handle this anymore. You need to leave. If you love me, you just need to leave because this is my last straw. And so Billy's wandering around, kicking a can, uh, probably feeling sorry for himself. And Victoria loves him, uh, but doesn't. But is protective of her children at this point. And she had this conversation with Abby. I think it was on Friday's show. Abby comes over, and at first she was all, oh, you know, if Billy's cheating, we'll let, we're just going to get Billy. But then she finds out it was the gambling, and... Abby just almost seems like she thinks that's not a big deal. Abby tells Victoria that she should take him back, you know. Okay, well, if Billy was gambling, that's, you know, it, it was, you know, he, it, he wasn't doing it because he didn't love you. Well, that's not the point, Abby. It, the love is not the issue. Victoria explains to Abby why she kicked him out. Like, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was never going to see my children again because of Billy and his gambling. And um, I just feel like explaining anything to Abby is like explaining it to a Barbie doll. Like, I I'm sorry. I would love to love the actress. But frankly, she seems to be all looks, no substance. Loved the green top she had on with the big sparkly um, stripe down the center of it. She looks great. But... I mean, even as she's saying the lines, I'm thinking, she has no personality in these lines at all. She looks uncomfortable in the scenes, and there's no, like, she's just like, nya, 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 That's how she delivers the lines. It doesn't at all feel like they're sisters. I know she's new to the show, but for kind of a lot of your professional actress, you can't, you can't seem comfortable with someone who's supposed to be your sister. She just is stiff and yuck. Blech. Meanwhile... Billy is all hangdog. He realizes that he may very well have messed up for the last time. And there was actually kind of a good scene between Billy and Jack where Billy finally fesses up to Jack, tells him what's going on, and Jack tells him, I, this is who you are. You know, you do kind of always screw up, but I will always be here for you. And it's starting to sink into Billy that his life is changing and that Victoria may not take him back this time. Except... 
Victoria realizes that I guess she's Mr. Period and they've been trying, I mean, for kind of a lot, they've been doing fertility treatments and having sex, 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 oh time, oh time, oh time. She goes out, grabs a pregnancy test. Now she's finally decided to leave Billy and she's pregnant. During that scene with Victoria and Abby, Victoria um, made a kind of a half-hearted attempt to ask what was going on in Abby's life and said, you know, what, what about you? What's going on in your life? What about that Detective Chavez? And Abby actually said, yeah, he's fine, but he's not the one. And I was so glad to hear that because I am not feeling that couple at all. It needed to end. Abby was totally picking a fight with Alex this week. Problems in paradise. Sorry. Like she goes up on him and she's saying, like she's trying to create a problem, like uh, being all acting like she's all paranoid that they have a difference in uh, their financial status. Alex is trying to pick up extra hours to make the rent and she's like, well, why wouldn't you just ask me for money? No man's just going to ask you for money. That's ridiculous. So she's just creating a problem where there isn't a problem because she doesn't suddenly has decided that she doesn't want to be with him anymore. And Alex is totally perplexed. He's just, Like, what just happened here? By the way, so sexy when he talks in Spanish. (laughs) He just said, like, after she left, it was like a whirl, a tornado just flew through the police station and she left and he's just standing there baffled and he kind of says something in Spanish and walks off screen. That guy's got personality. He's funny and he's not being used and it is very, very irritating. Who are they going to pair him with? I don't know, because I don't care about whoever it is this extra cop is. You know, and I didn't like Alex right away. He was not a given for me. I was like, all right, he's sexy, but whatever. But he's, in the few lines that he's had, he makes it interesting. That guy is actually talented, and I enjoy seeing him. I would like to see more of him, and I don't know why YNR has to blow it. I want to see more Alex, less Abby. And, by the way, You know how I said last week that, hey, why not Abby and Tyler? Well, what do you know? Abby and Tyler run into each other at the bar after she has this fight with Alex, and they start to talk and realize that they have a little bit more in common. And now that I've seen them together more, I don't want it. I just have decided, like, at this point... I've decided that I, I I like Tyler. I feel like I've gotten to know Tyler a little better, and so I like him a little more. And I, frankly, just hate to waste that fine chocolate on a boring scoop of vanilla ice cream. Maddie and Charlie had their birthday party this week, and Kane and the kids were running around in these capes, <laughs> and Kane was pretending to be super daddy. <laughs> it was super dorky, <laughs> but uh, kind of cute. I got a little bit of a soft spot for Kane. Um, were there no other kids at that party? Like, your kids have a birthday party, but there are no other kids. <laughs> I think Kane was the biggest kid at that party. It was funny to see him doing something a little different. Like, he's been not very active lately, and it was fun just to see him having a personality. Now, just before Neil arrives at the party, he had a confrontation with Tyler. Um, As you know, Devon and Tyler have been really butting heads, and there was some sort of decision that Devon took over Tyler's head. Tyler's kind of supposed to be the lead on this project. He's the senior on the product project, and Devon comes in, which I guess is not totally, uh, you know, unusual in a corporate situation, but Devon comes in, makes an executive decision without Tyler, and Neil backs it up. Tyler comes to Neil and I think was maybe expecting Neil to be objective, and Neil was not. He just said, uh, sorry, I decided to go with Devon's idea because it was better, and Tyler said, you know what? This is nepotism. And I think it's true. It's quite clear that Tyler is been being marginalized, A, because of his personal relationship with Lily, and B, because the winners are, I mean, Neil's son's on the project. I mean, it is nepotism. Sorry. And Neil decides, you know what? I don't like the way you're talking to me right now. You're fired. So Tyler gets canned from his job, He probably needed to quit it anyway because it just was not working, not fitting. I don't know why he would even want to continue to work with Devon um, when they were butting heads. And then Neil goes to the party 
after just firing Tyler, tells Devon, yeah, I got something to tell you, got some news for you. Obviously, Neil and Devon were in collusion to get Tyler out of the way. I mean, it was obvious. They were concerned about their daughter's welfare. Again, it is nepotism. It's not that Tyler didn't do his job. That's kind of wrong. I mean, it is. So, Neil tells Devon that he's just fired Tyler. Lily overhears it, and she freaks out. She's not happy about it. She's pretty much the only one that's in Tyler's corner. And she uh, justifiably is like, why would you do that? You know, I care about this project. And she cares about Tyler. And so it, 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 you know, I think Neil and Devon are just hoping that this will go away, that when Tyler goes away, everything will go back to normal. But she gets visibly upset and she has to kind of talk to Kane about it. She, like, decides to tell him everything after everyone has left you know, he says, why don't you tell me the real why- reason why you're so upset? If you're not on the project, what's the problem? And Lily says, the truth is, the reason why I quit the project was because of Tyler. And that we had, you know, he was having feelings for me. And um, I didn't feel comfortable with it. Of course, it was sort of like half truth. I mean, she told Kane kind of all of the truth. She, I don't think, told him that they kissed. <laughs> I'm going to assume she didn't tell him that they kissed because the honesty really seemed to, like, I don't know, work for them. They ended up having sex later. I would imagine if she told the whole truth, sex would not have ensued. Um, but by the way, Lily looked really cute this week, I thought, in her little pink party dress with the A-line cut. It was very Victoria, kind of 50s style, like, um, um, but shorter. It was cute. Lily looked really cute this week. Um, now, we still have the issue of Neil and the stalker. And something interesting, I think, a, a connection that I'm making this week. Let me say this. Uh, Kane's assistant, Hillary. She is on top of Kane's stuff. She is really helping him in every way, in his business life and in his personal life. And Hillary realizes that Kane left some gifts for the child, children at the office, and so she brings them to his house, and she saves the day by bringing these presents. And Jill detects that Hillary is really kind of becoming Kane's right hand. And so Jill approaches Hillary later at the coffee house and really starts sucking up to her, just laying all of this praise on her. And Hillary's not stupid. She realizes that there's something more to this. And she says, Mrs. Abbott, what is it that you really want from me? And Jill still wants to be the CEO of Chancellor. And so she pretty much tells Hillary that she will pay double her salary if Hillary will divert some of Kane's work to her. Like Jill wants to look like the good guy. She wants to look like she's the CEO, like she's the one making major great decisions. And Hillary, I think, probably was like, oh, let me think about it, goes right to Kane afterwards, tells, tells Kane everything. So it appears that Hillary is <clears throat> uh, got good morals. She's not going to betray Kane, but I wonder if that's just a little bit of a ruse. Is it a coincidence that she's coming on right as this whole Rose Neil mystery is going on? Because Hillary was at the party when Neil arrived at the party, and did you guys notice that there seemed to be a long moment? between Neil and Hillary. Like, they were meeting for the first time at the party, but they kind of shook hands, and Neil seemed to kind of look at her like, maybe he recognized her from somewhere. I got a lot of really good voicemails from you guys this week. I've had that voicemail number for like two years, and <laughs> people don't usually call it. And now all of a sudden it's blowing up, and it's such a pleasure. I got messages from um, Gina, love your Australian accent, uh, Patricia, blowing my mind, Gary, always insightful, uh, Michael, laying down some truth, Connor, uh, just such a cool personality, and giving me things I never thought of. Like, it's so good to hear from you guys. It really makes a difference to me. It, it, it's like it's like my own YNR 
our chat. Like, that's what I can listen to to get, you know, what other people are thinking. And, I, you know, I get YouTube comments uh, all the time and comments on the blog and everywhere, and I totally appreciate it. I love reading comments, but there is something that's a little extra special about uh, hearing people say their opinions out loud. And it's interesting. I think almost everybody that called and left voicemails this week had to say that they just weren't feeling Dylan. Like, there's a lot of people that seem to agree that everything with Dylan is very heavy-handed. And furthermore, it seems like people's feelings for Chelsea are quite a bit different than they were a year ago. A year ago, she was the doll. She was the darling of the show. And and I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one who is just not feeling the Dylan and Chelsea thing. So it's, I don't know, it's little things like that that I I really appreciate. Um, So if, if anybody, you can always leave me text comments, but I don't take that for granted at all. I love reading text comments, but you can also call in and leave me a voice voicemail. The telephone number is area code 309-588-4569. You can blow it up. Let me know what you think. I think I think it's just shy of three minutes before the beep, uh, but you're welcome to leave more than one message. I always listen to them, and I always enjoy hearing what you guys have to say. Okay, my podcast friends. <laughs> it has been quite a week. I am really interested to know what's going to happen with Kyle and Phyllis. I think, let's see, Michelle Stafford said that her scenes are going to air into August. So I imagine she's going to be around for a little bit longer. So I I imagine it's going to be a little bit more of a slow buildup. I mean, if she's going to be around for another month, maybe the Kyle thing won't blow up right away. Not sure, but she's definitely going to be leaving town with her tail between her legs. And hey, did you guys hear that rumor that she's going to be going to General Hospital? Maybe it's just a rumor. Maybe I shouldn't mention it, but it seems like people have been speculating about her potentially going over to General Hospital, which I think is going to be very shocking. Um, I mean, I assume she was just kind of done with acting or just kind of done with the soap world. But if she, if Michelle Stafford goes over to General Hospital, then that to me says, after 16 years of being on YNR, that to me says she was not feeling the new vibe over there. Like she tried to stick it out through the new writers, but she has been marginalized. That's for sure. Within the last, since the new writers have taken over, there has been a whole lot less Phyllis. And I wonder if Michelle Stafford did not like that, but that's just me speculating. <laughs> um, well, you're free, you're free to speculate, too. Um, please, again, feel free to call in. Leave me a voice comment, 309-588-4569. Or you can go to the blog and leave me a comment there, yrchatblog.blogspot.com. Or you can email me to yrchat at live.com. Whatever you guys are thinking, I love hearing, so please don't be shy. Um, all right. I think that's it, you guys. I love you so much, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye!